this is Mark Leverdue and you're listening to First Tempo. Our today's guest is really a person who lives and breathes volleyball. During the years he has been a coach of Berlin Recycling Volleys and he has championed Wengel. He is developing a website where he explains different aspects of the volleyball game, including the sports psychology. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Lebedev. Thank you for accepting the invitation to be a guest in our podcast, First Tempo. I would like to start with a question I believe is very important in order to understand your background. Your father translated the book My Profession, the Game, written by the great Soviet coach of the 70s and the 80s, Vyacheslav Platonov. Can you tell us more about his philosophy, which made the Soviet team the absolute best? The story about my father is the is the easiest story. Uh, he uh, came to Australia after the the war uh, when he was uh, 16 years old. Uh, he was involved with uh, sport. He he really loved sport, and in in that period in Australia in the the 50s especially, they the different uh, nationalities they they formed groups where they played they socially play played sport uh, and volleyball was one of the sports that basically came to Australia with the uh, immigrants from especially eastern europe uh, after the second world war so there were big populations of people from the baltic states latvia lithuania estonia especially also from uh, different parts of uh, old Yugoslavia and so he was involved with volleyball uh, he is Russian I should I should start by saying that uh, he was the founder of the Australian Volleyball Federation and the first secretary of the of the federation and in the in this position uh, as the representative of the federation and also as a as a fan uh he traveled to different events in the the 70s for FIVB congresses for world championships uh for world cup because it was uh, also the closest event to australia and easiest to organize and there he met uh platonov and uh, became quite friendly with him and uh, spent time with him talking volleyball um they shared the russian language of course and uh he became uh, let's say good acquaintances uh, i guess at different he had some contact with him at different times and when in his travels to soviet old soviet union and to russia after that he he bought and brought back to australia the books uh, written by platonov i think he he wrote three or four three or four books and at some point we had the the idea to uh, to translate one of them the, so this one in particular is is really focused on how to coach and how to be a coach and and this part of of volleyball and we thought that it could be useful for a non-russian speaking audience and my father volunteered his time because uh, to to translate it and uh, he made contact with at that time uh, he'd already passed away so with platonov's uh, widow who gave 
permission to uh, to translate it and to publish it in English, and and that's uh, what we were able to do after, I guess it was two or three years, uh, two or three years work. Can you can you just mention and tell us something about his philosophy, the philosophy of Platonov? It's really hard for me to describe it because well, I have one one book uh, which is a little bit uh, has a little bit of things, but without watching him work and spending time with him, it's it's a little bit difficult to really to to say what it is. But the things that I think about when I read the book uh, that uh, he his approach to coaching and working with the team was very practical. Uh, so the he was not interested in great philosophies or great theories. Uh, he was interested in working with people and uh, and helping them to to get better and to make a team. One thing for me that was also really surprising and this is a cultural uh, a cultural point is we we had in the in Australia when I grew up we had some uh, idea of what it was like in the Soviet Union and very hierarchical and autocratic uh, but from reading his book and uh, that he was not a an autocratic figure in the way that we imagine. So, of course, he was a, an authority figure. It's not possible for a coach to to not have authority, but but it was a really strong impression that he worked with the players. He was open to to talking with them. To one of the one of the chapters is about uh, uh, working with stars, and if you uh, stars become stars because. They do things that are different from other people because they push the game in ways that that nobody has pushed it yet, and the coach has to make allowances for them because they are ahead of uh, everybody else. So uh, he was not forcing people to do things just because it was his way, but working with people to uh, to make the, the the best result for the team. If I can describe his philosophy in some way, I, I guess that's it. We are talking here about volleyball wisdom, and you wrote an article where you actually put into question the conventional volleyball wisdom. Let's let's give an example. I was attending an event where, let's summarize it, Massimo Barbolini says, play high ball in transition, and you say, don't play high balls. <laughs> Well, if about this specific point, the high ball is the most difficult ball to set. It's the most difficult ball to score, and uh, it's the most easy ball to defend. So, uh, and this is why we spend a, a lot of time practicing it because it's very difficult and very difficult to score. So, uh, one way of thinking about it is that I have to improve the high ball attack and practice, practice, practice the high ball attack. Um, another way of thinking is that maybe we have to make situations where we don't have to play the high ball and that we play fast. So that's that's my answer to to that specific point. Um, just yeah, the fast ball is always easier to score than a high ball. So um, why why should we play the high ball? There are for me there are lots of things in volleyball where. 
Uh, it was a, a really good idea in some point in the, in the past, and it was revolutionary idea in 1972 or 86 or 2005, but the game changes, the people who play the game change, the type of athletes, the mentality of the players, the skills of the players, and a lot of the ideas that we that we have that were great ideas maybe don't maybe there are better ideas now so i'm always as a coach because i want to win i'm always trying to think of better ways to do things more efficient ways easier ways that i can uh, get more out of practice way tactical ways that i can you know, find find some way to make an extra point or two extra points and the way that people did it in the past is not the best way to do things now it's a starting point but it's not the best way now let's talk about one of these ideas it is a common understanding that in volleyball errors shall be minimized as much as possible but your concept is a bit different about risking can you explain this this idea of yours that risking is better I would be careful to say exactly exactly that, but the point is that in uh, in the game you have to win to win one set you have to win twenty five points, so you have to win these points. The uh, and uh, the if you don't make mistakes, you aren't winning points. You are hoping that the other team will make a mistake or that you get another chance in the future to make a point. And this idea is this idea is okay. And if you are playing against a weaker team, for example, then it's a really good tactic because the other team is worse. So if you give them the chance to play the ball, they probably don't score. And if they try to risk, they can make a mistake. And so you just play with uh you just play with this idea but if you're playing against a team that's equal maybe you have a chance this way but if you are playing against a team that's better then if you play without mistakes you have no chance to win you are only playing to so that the score is is not so bad because if you play with no risk you give the team the ball and you give them the chance to make a point and if a good team if you give them the ball, they will make a point. They, you are just hoping that they make a mistake is, for me, is not a very smart way of playing. You reduce the risk and you say, ah, okay, we didn't lose any points and the other team was just better. But like I already said in the last answer, I'm not, as a coach, I'm not interested in uh, losing gallantly or trying to or losing with uh, dignity or something I, I want to win and if I don't have the the best uh, if I don't have the best team I have to try to find uh, to try to find a way to win and to score points before the other team scores a point is to me the most logical way to do it and of course it can go wrong so you you when you risk, by definition, you have a chance to lose. But I think that there, I have some history now that uh, that if you try to win, you have a better chance of winning than if you try not to lose. Let's switch the tone a bit. Which is for you the most essential change in volleyball in the last 20 years? It could be a specific rule, the use of new technologies or something else. 
I think the biggest change in volleyball in the last 20 years was a generation of players, and I, I don't know exactly if this is a, if it's about players or it's about coaches or it's uh, about the I don't know why why or how this is, but there is a, a generation of players now that are more ready to take risks that are more ready to play fast to for the um, to play fast from defense and they are ready for to play all the skills in this way and maybe this is uh, somehow it begins from uh, from Irvin Engerpet maybe he is the uh, the one that gave everybody the the green light to open their imagination maybe the coaches started to see things in a different way i don't know i don't know what it what it is but for me the volleyball from now is completely different than the volleyball from from 10 years ago there is less high balls there is more more dynamic actions at the net there is more interesting rallies the change is the release of imagination in some way. And what do you think is the statistics influence? The statistics, uh, I, I don't, I can't speak for everybody, of course, but my idea of statistics has always been that volleyball has a series of repeated actions that you can see that this is one rotation, this is one spiker that are repeated and they are easy to record and easy to follow in some way. And so volleyball was one of the very first sports to use some kind of uh, analytics and statistics. So if you go back 40 years or, or whatever it is, but I see a lot of, in a lot of places, the statistics haven't changed or developed or improved for that time. We, we were the first uh, to do a lot of things, and then we were happy with what we have, and we keep uh, we keep working uh, in the same way. And so, for example, uh, how we normally measure reception, the most common ways to measure reception with a three, two, one, zero scale, something like that, or the perfect and positive, where you you talk about uh, perfect and positive and minus errors so you have some kind of efficiency and and for me both of those are not very well developed statistics so one of them means a, a three reception is is one and a half times better than a two reception which is not true or three times better than a one reception which is also less true and with the positive and errors you are missing 30 or 40 percent of the of the plays, and the 30 to 40 percent are not equal. There is a difference between a negative reception that's uh, four meters from the net and the setter can set it, or five meters outside the court that the libero is trying to to keep alive. So, and maybe it can be that everybody is uh, doing these things by themselves but not sharing them, which is, of course is entirely possible and I hope that there are a lot of smart coaches out there who are doing that uh, but the normal things that you see are 
on league websites and the, the published statistics and FIVB and the statistics are not meaningful in any way. So my quest is to, to use the statistics to understand how the game works and how the game is played and then to use that understanding to practice better and to, to create better uh, tactics and and uh, ways of playing. Uh, what is the purpose of a timeout? Shall a coach give a lot of tactical instructions during a timeout or try to change strategy or just calm down the players and fine-tune very few things? The, the reason to make a timeout is to show the fans and the club president that you are doing everything you can to win the match. This is the most important part, the reason to make a timeout. After that, you can make some small changes to the to the tactics. You can maybe you can have some effect of the momentum. You can uh, change the concentration of your team or the other team. I think that this is useful for this reason, but I think I don't think I'm sure that it's overrated as a positive effect on the game. Actually, I know that uh, that you have a very special opinion on this matter, so that's why I ask. You have to be a little bit careful what I write, because <laughs> because sometimes uh, sometimes I want to be a devil's advocate. So maybe I I will write an opinion that I only 70% believe, but I want to I want to see what the the arguments are what are the discussion points so to pr provoke or promote not provoke promote a discussion so it's a kind and of provocation uh, a little bit so uh, for example i don't i i wrote a lot about timeouts and i studied them and we my uh, uh my friend who is a as a statistician we we studied different leagues and vnl and It's not what I always write is that there's no evidence that timeouts work. So this is this is true, but it's not completely true because the study that we make, of course, doesn't show cause and effect and averages over 150 matches doesn't mean that the timeout doesn't work one time because if you take a timeout, you don't want to work on average. You want to win one point. I think... When I say that they don't work, I don't literally believe this, but I will say that the the value of a timeout, I'm certain, is overrated. It can have some effect, but I don't think that volleyball would be worse if there were no timeouts and the players just played the game like a football game. You like to say that laughing makes you a better coach. Can you tell us the funniest story you've had as a coach? The funniest story I've had as a coach. Uh, this one you had to give me some uh, some notice about. Uh, the funniest, honestly, the funniest story, the first thing that comes into my mind is uh, when I have been at practice and was hit by the was hit in the balls by the ball. So that's the funniest thing I can think of off the top of my head. But there are every day there are funny things that happen. Some Some player gets hit in the head. Some player spins around and does something that looks stupid. There are there are lots of things. Uh, the reactions of the players on the other side. Actually, I think I can think of one funny story that I won't uh, say who the people are. But uh, when you're playing the game, the 
for the players and the coach, there is a, there are different uh, small games that are going on inside the game. So how you react to the opponent and when you smile or laugh, or uh, this is also some kind of message to uh, to the opponent. Sometimes when I'm playing, when I'm part of a game, I want to to smile to show to the opponent that. I don't take them seriously or that uh, I know that they uh, that they are not uh, I don't know what the what the word is that I'm not taking them seriously their games and I had one match not long ago where there was a player on the other team and one of the most famous players in the world and he started to do the same thing to my team so he started to smile and laugh at the, through the net to show that uh, he did not take them seriously and that it was all uh, was all some fun for him. In some moments, we after one action, he and I look directly at each other, and we are both smiling at uh, and showing the other team that we don't take them seriously. <laughs> and he and in that moment, he winked at me. This was uh, I know that you know that I am full of shit. <laughs> basically uh, is the way so this was uh this was the funniest thing that happened to me in a in a game in the last uh, few months nowadays you're coaching the team of Varta Zavirci in Poland and you achieved fourth place last season which is the highest in the history of the club how did you succeed in building such a strong team taking into account that you don't have any star players actually so Let's say that inspired by the movie Moneyball, you built a Moneyball team. In some way, this is this is true. That uh, in the sense that I have I have read Moneyball and I followed the analytics movement. I guess in some way, even if I'm not an analyst. And the point of of Moneyball is that people in sport and everywhere they don't value players in this case correctly so they they value some skills they value some personalities more or less than they should and if you are building a club with a budget then you have a chance to find players that are not valued correctly for some reason in this case in Zabiecha and probably the the most important is uh, actually we had two we had two last season that made a really big difference for us and and one was Mikhail Mazni who is a is a, a strong character and in a few different places he had problems with uh, had some problems because he is a he's a strong character he's also he was also at the start of last season he was 39 uh, even if he was in good shape and playing well the age the history meant that we could take him for a good budget this was the the first thing and this is really a money ball idea and the second one was uh, we we had a, an injury during the season and we were able to to sign during the season with Alex Ferreira uh, this was another case he was he was injured the injury wasn't a really serious injury but it was enough that his club broke the broke the contract 
this one is more by accident, but at the exact moment that we were looking for a player, he was available. Normally, he would not have been somebody that we could afford, but you know, just in that moment in the market it was a good moment for us. So this is one part of it. The second part is to uh, is building the team is to try to find uh, players and skills that are complementary. So the one of the when you are in a big club, one of the traps that you can fall into is the is the idea of collecting players. So we have money, so we get the seven most expensive players that we can find. If you have the seven best players, then okay, this is one thing. But if uh, if you just have seven expensive players, you don't know if they can play together. Maybe you don't have. Uh, maybe you have all good spikers but no good receivers, or maybe the middles you have are only good in attack but not in block, or. Maybe the you have the wrong number of foreigners, so you have difficulty to manage who's playing at, at different times. And it's important when, if you want to build a team, that you have the skills and the personalities that are complementary and can play and can work well together. And a big part of it is uh, is guesswork, because you don't know how people will be until you work with them and you don't know how people will work together until they are together. But you, as much as you can, you try to find an idea that this is a, this guy is a worker. This guy is, you know, he likes to play a certain way and that fits with one other player. We already have two spikers. So now we have to find a receiver. This is the way that I think about building the team. It's worked a few times. It doesn't work every time. Because uh, if you have a, a budget, then you have some limits. But uh, but this is the way I think about putting the team together. Mark, it was a pleasure for me talking to you. And uh, again, I would like to thank you for accepting the invitation to be a guest in First Tempo. And uh, I would like to thank again the listeners for listening. And uh, I hope that that in the future you, you're going to be again a guest of ours. Thank you. Um, my pleasure. It was nice to talk to you, and uh, I'm happy to talk anytime. Is this uh, one thing that I can talk hours about is volleyball. Thank you. And dear listeners, again, thank you for listening to our channel and our podcast First Tempo, and I hope that you're going to do it the next time too. Bye.